Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Josip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I am Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm back with Yussi Roine. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I am still on a summer holiday. I think this is week four. I'm, I'm not certain anymore what weekday it is, because every day is the same. Fixing <laughs> breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks and supper for the kids and myself. And that's mostly it. But beyond that, one of the things that I picked up dur- during my holidays is I resumed reading books. So, so mostly on Kindle, uh, but also physical books. And, and I, I sort of felt that I, I haven't in the past couple of months, perhaps since I graduated from school, I felt I haven't really sat down and focused on one thing, like reading a whole book. It's often a reference book and you read two pages and then you don't need the book anymore. So I set the goal to read about 30 pages a day on a, on a given book. So I started with one book, complete that, then move to the next book. And that happens usually in the evening. And I think this is day four. And, and so far, I'm, I'm doing quite good. So that's, that's been fun, because you mute everything on all of your devices, you sit down, you read for 30 pages, it might be 30 minutes or 40 minutes, depending on the content. And then you sort of give yourself a permission that I can I can put down the book now. I've I've read enough. I don't feel obligated to read more, even if it's interesting. So that's been I, I think it's been relaxing, but it's been sort of eye-opening at the same time that I can still focus on things. Yeah, sounds interesting. And I actually picked up reading books also some year ago, and I never really committed to it. I had the feeling that if I started something, I wanted to finish it and you know, now two kids in the house, you know, there's always something requiring your attention. If you're not working, there's work to be done at home. And there's, you know, the family to tend to. So I really didn't have any few moments here and there to, uh, to even take a breather and read a book. Uh, perhaps because mostly I don't read fiction. I read nonfiction and like how to do personal growth or, you know, mindset of specific things, or if I want to learn a specific topic, I read about that, and then I don't want to get interrupted. Also, it's always easy to find kind of reasons why you don't want to read those books, because it's a lot easier to get stuck in a fiction book that's exciting, and you know, there's a story. But if it's only about learning a topic, it's not as exciting. So, So on my side, I have, as with the last couple of episodes, and we, we recently moved into the new house. We're now renovating the new home office. So if you do hear strange audio today, that's because I'm recording from the living room and there's a lot of stuff here, including my entire family is around. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll make do without too much noise. Um, but so far, so good. I'm trying to do it late in the evening when everyone is sleeping. So, so far, the renovations are going well. But I am exhausted, and I'm not doing the renovations myself. But it's pretty exhausting to keep track of everything. But perhaps mostly mentally taxing is the view I have from my desk right now. Because if I look up, just upside my monitor, I can see my living room, and it's packed with boxes to the roof, to the ceiling. 
there's so much stuff in here. And I realize I don't even know where to start when I'm going to put these things away in, in the uh, building that is now going to be the home office. There will be a storage facility as well. And there's so many things, and I don't even know what half of them are. So I am perhaps not looking forward to the uh, unboxing of these boxes. I think I will be on the same boat in about seven months from now. Hopefully when our house is, is ready and it's built, then we'll move in and I'll probably spend four weeks or six weeks living uh, with the boxes and not, not really knowing what's in the boxes until I, I finally get the time to sort everything out. Just build oh. a cellar or a basement so you can just put them somewhere and forget <laughs> about them. That's it. Oh, yeah. So let me build a bigger house so that I can fit all the boxes in there, there you go. <laughs> and never open them again. Sounds like a plan. So today, this is episode 92. What's up with application insights? And we last focused on application insights, and that was all the way back in episode 15. So that was in early 2020. And I, I vaguely recall what we talked about then, but I think we sort of had a lap around the basic features of application insights, how it relates to Azure Monitor and when should you use it and what the capabilities are. So we, we felt that it would be nice to revisit application insights since there's been some interesting updates and, and to have a deeper look on those, not focus on the basic stuff anymore because you can go, go and listen to episode 15. All of that is still relevant. But today, let's have a look on, on what sort of updates and new capabilities have been uh, announced and are now available either in preview or generally available for application insights. And perhaps we start with the troubleshooting guides. I think, Toby, you found those. Uh, what's, what are they about? So the, the troubleshooting guide is it's a new section that you will find under investigate in App Insights. And I, th I think this topic is so important because anything that is about monitoring, and I know we've talked about that in, in so many episodes already, because we, we operate things in the cloud, we need to get the insights and the telemetry and metrics about how the cloud is, is feeling and what's going on today and how our solutions that we operate are actually behaving. Now, there's something called troubleshooting guides, which is currently in preview as of this recording. Um, that can help you do that. And there's uh, a way for you to create your own workbook. And that essentially means you can create a custom troubleshooting guide for your specific application. And then you start with a blank troubleshooting guide. And that's a great capability. That's not the one I want to talk about. There's also built-in public templates, right? So with a workbook in Application Insights, which this is now based on, uh, you have four built-in types, which is request failures, dependency failures, exceptions, and performance counters. And these are predefined workbooks to give you insights into what's going on in your application. And now the obvious question here is, what differs this from just going to the logs or clicking on uh, failures in the left menu? Why would you go to request failures in a specific workbook? So the workbook consists of two things, or two main things. One is the failure trend. And here you can see the trend of request failures over the selected time range that you're looking at. And then you can split by new and existing failures, just like uh, the capability you have with uh, automated UI tests or unit tests. You can see that this is a new test that is failing, but the other test, the 
if you have 10 tests and two of them are failing, you can see that these two are new failing tests, but maybe there's still one, which is an old test that you know is failing. You might expect it to fail for another few days because there might be a dependency that's broken or whatever. Then you don't want to change the code. You might want to let that test fail until that dependency is fixed, which is okay. So that's kind of a similar insights that we get with that workbook. So you can see where Application Insights is smart enough to understand, well, this happened before, so I'm still going to log it. I'm going to show you that this has happened. There's an exception. There's a dependency failure, whatever it is. And you can see that exception or dependency failure or request failure, depending on which workbook you go into. But then you will also get a, a flag, an orange flag, if it's a new failure or a blue flag, if it's an existing failure. And then you can see the trend lines and you can understand, for example, if you roll something out and here's where the power comes in, where I've used it in production already, uh, although it's a preview because it's it's not a service preview that you enable for one of the like core services we, we use and rely on. This is just a, a menu blade in App Insights that give you a, a preview UI. So it's okay to use that in production for, for our use case. And here I can immediately see that I have, as of the latest release of whatever we released, I can see that there's now a couple of new incoming exceptions. And all the others are older exceptions that I may or may not expect, but we know about them. But now I can see that from the release we just did two days ago, I'm starting to get these orange flags with new failures. And then I can see that things are flying in that we did not expect or that are unexpected failures. So that's what I what I like about it. And of course, you can modify these. You can customize the troubleshooting guides, and then you can just click edit and then add more stuff if you want, add some descriptions. There's uh, some markdown. You can add more uh, troubleshooting information if you're delegating this to someone in your team. And that's what I really like about this, that it's not just you click on logs and you have to insert a query. Even if you use a safe query that someone else built, it's still a lot of knowledge you need to have about the application, about what you're looking for. With these troubleshooting guides, it's exactly what the name implies. This is a guide for you or your team to uh, find stuff spe specifically for your use cases and your scenarios. So now you can kind of tailor the troubleshooting experience based on the applications you're operating. And that's pretty cool. So you can get your entire DevOps team or DevSecOps team uh, involved in this and take a look. So everyone knows that we deployed yesterday or I just deployed this PR, whatever. Things are now starting to fly in. And then the troubleshooting guide, whoever is modifying that or editing that can then put some notes in and say, hey, if, if this happened when you did this, this is where you need to start taking a look. And then you can get some data. So pretty cool. Um, I guess since the last time we spoke about App Insights, this is one of the favorite things that I like because obviously operating a lot of cloud solutions across multiple subscriptions in multiple regions, I have a lot of data flying my way. And we're talking billions of records a month flying in as events into our App Insights that we have spread out. This is a really good way for me to kind of tailor that experience so I can get like the, the needle and pinpoint exactly what I'm looking for and find new things that I was not aware of quicker. So pretty cool. I've used the, um, the Jupyter-based notebooks. Um, it's some machine learning stuff and labs, but that was quite some time ago. And since then, we got the Azure notebooks 
And I think you can still define if it's going to be a Python-based or something else. So is my understanding now correct that when you start building your own troubleshooting guides in App Insights, you get the templates, but you can modify those. So you can add free text, you can add KQL queries in there, you can add some sort of light functionality so that whoever sort of inherits the solution from you once you've deployed to production has this sort of predefined guide that if, if this and this fails, if you're getting this sort of a problem, go through this guide and, and you can build a clear guide for somebody to troubleshoot and debug the issue. Yep, yep, pretty much. And then, of course, it, it's up to you how much you want to put into that. But uh, so a workbook essentially is an ARM template that you deploy into Azure Monitor. So there's a GitHub repo, and I think you can actually access that from inside App Inside. So from troubleshooting guides, if you go to community Git repo and click there, there's a link Azure Monitor. Um, if you click that, you will be taken to the Azure Monitor uh, community on GitHub. And from there, you can find all the solutions and, and the workbooks. And yeah, you can see that these are just files. And you can grab these files and you can plug them into your uh, App Insights if you want. So it's pretty cool. There's, there's a bunch of stuff in there. And then there's, of course, um, you know, that's only one, one repository with these type of solutions. There are, as I've noted, also other communities contributing to uh, building workbooks for Azure Monitor and for different things. So you can kind of plug them in and you can get these really advanced dashboards uh, with a lot of stuff. And it's simply, it's, it's just a JSON file. You plug this JSON file in and that's it. So, of course, validate where that comes from. Don't just download any JSON file. Take a look where, you know, if it's a trusted source and review the file before you actually start using it. Not that I think there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but still, if you want to rely on the insights that it builds in the dashboard, make sure that's that you verify what you're what you're uploading, um, and and then you can do that. And there's also, of course, so you can browse if you so everything is based on Azure workbooks. So if you have Azure workbooks in your gallery, you can also from App Insights directly go and browse, select a workbook, and start using it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, so, sounds really cool. I will need to take a look at the guides because often when you're building something for a customer, uh, you plug in App Insights and then you sort of move on to a separate to, to a new project and somebody else inherits that solution. So I feel this might be super useful for somebody who comes in six months later to see an issue and not really knowing where to look for more details. Do, do we have something in an email or is there a Word document? Is there some official documentation? Alrighty, so the next one is Azure AD authentication for App Insights. And this is also in preview. And Toby, I think you mentioned this in our latest Azure updates episode, when we had a look on, 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 on the new announcements on any Azure capabilities. And the idea, if I recall correctly, was that now when you enable application insights uh, to get telemetry from your solutions, use the key, the, the, the telemetry key, and embed it somewhere. And often that's sort of anonymous in the sense that if I get the same key, I can start pushing data to your app insights. So the idea here would be that we enforce Azure AD based authentication that sort of disables 
anybody anonymously filling our telemetry logs with nonsense. Is, is this yeah. essentially the future? Yeah, that, that is the gist of it. And it's not just about filling with nonsense. Uh, the ingestion into application insights, which essentially relies on log analytics workspaces, is priced per gigabyte. And you know the price per gigabyte is fairly low, but when you have the amount of data that, for example, we have in some of our systems, and like I mentioned before, we have billions of records flying in. If someone else starts sending billions of records your way, you can expect thousands and thousands of euros in data ingestion costs. So if you're not protecting your App Insights key, anyone else can do that. And, and you can super easily distribute that like a DDoS kind of attack, not to bring the service down, but to bring your cost up. So perhaps more uh, denial of wallets or denial of budgets, if you will because they, they could really confuse the data, of course. So troubleshooting, like the troubleshooting guys I mentioned, might be useless if you expect to have a billion items, but you now have 25 billion items uh, in the logs where 24 billion of those are just nonsense that someone injected because they want to you know, mess up your budget, uh, which they then successfully did. So always take care to protect the uh, telemetry uh, keys. So yeah, this, this way with... AAD authentication for App Insights is a very welcome change. And uh, I recently tried this out. You can do this from an ARM template. When you deploy your App Insight uh, with your resources, so for example, you deploy a microservice architecture, you have a bunch of things, you have some functions, container groups, whatever, and, and you plug these things in, maybe you also have an App Insights or one or more. Then now you can define a flag called disable local auth in the ARM template, and voila, no more unauthenticated users. Then you have to uh, be an authenticated user to, uh, to do that. So I like that. I tried it out. My proof of concept works, which I'm happy about. I need to put this through some real QA scenarios with our QA and engineering teams. And then when we verify that this works across the board for all the microservices that we operate across all the regions you know, in, in the entire big cloud, then we're never going to go back to anonymous app insights. And I, I read about this, that it works with managed identities. So in order to get this up and running, you have to provision at least one managed identity. And then in your code, uh, on Microsoft Docs, I found some sample code for the .NET SDK for App Insights. In your code, you first authenticate against Azure AD with the managed identity, and then you start uh, ingesting or, or sending your telemetry data. So that sort of implies to me, and it also says that it's not supported, the SDK for JavaScript is not supported. So if I'm, if I'm creating a public-facing website with anonymous users, then I feel I cannot embed the app inside JavaScript snippets uh, in a web page that anybody can access since I cannot enforce the authentication anymore. So somehow I would have to do that server side. And from there, I could do the authentication. And yep. I'm not sure, but I think the same limitation is now for Java 2.x uh, and the older Python SDKs. But any JavaScript version for now is not supported for this. Yeah. So I, I can only speak for, for .NET, which I use. And that's great. And so far, things work. We rely already on managed identities for everything. 
So our container instances, container groups, uh, they're flying using virtual networks with trusted subnets that are allowed to access specific services only, uh, you know, with routed traffic and firewalls enabled on all key vaults and storage accounts and everything we're using. Uh, and these managed identities are used then to access a key vault. We don't use any other way to access a key vault. We don't use um, like a, a connection string to access things. So this is a super welcome introduction to Appens as in how to authenticate here. If they would give us a telemetry key and then a secondary key, which is a passphrase, then of course, you know, what's the what's the benefit of that? It would of course make it an authenticated request, but if you protect your telemetry key anyway, then that's kind of an authenticated request in, in the sense that nobody else has the key. But if you would store the telemetry key and a connection string in the same place, then you have the same issue, right? If you if that get out gets out of hand. So I, I like this. And uh, for us, we're already very well prepared for uh, for this. We have managed identities across everything we use, web apps, functions, container instances, everything that we're running. So this is what I think is a you know the more modern approach to to dealing with it as opposed to you know usernames and password and connection strings. I think it's a very welcomed addition and finally now available for App Insight. So this is in preview. And if somebody who's listening on this is wondering, so if it's in preview, can, you, can I use this in production? Often the, the limitation with the preview is that you do not get SLA. So if something fails or it's not performing as well as you'd like, then you sort of have to wait for it to be generally available. Alrighty, so the next one, this is fairly simple and I openly admit again, I've never used this specific capability and it's the work item integration so you can create a github or an azure devops work item that has the relevant app inside data once you find an issue or an exception are you using this i am well let's let's put it this way i have used it i am familiar with it i have used it and i like the idea uh, perhaps it's not as easy to customize as I would have expected. It works for more basic scenarios. So when I when I read that announcement, when I took a look, uh, I actually wrote a blog post about that as well because I really like this functionality. I want more people to discover it because if more people discover it and start using it, that means there's more people who can also request changes to how it works. And I really like it. Uh, but with you know some caveats to the workflow, when you uh, when you see an exception and you say click here to create a work item, you do that, and then you have predefined what's going to happen. Well, you're going to go to this team project and it's going to create a bug and it's going to do these things. Maybe add these five tags automatically and maybe add this person as a uh, assignee or whatever it is. However, the workflows we have they're never as it is in the textbook. Kind of like when you attend a Microsoft training for something, right? It's, this is how the world is supposed to work. And then you actually get out into the world in, in real practice and realize there are so many variables. And that's why the consultant answer to everything is it depends, right? Because there's always something else that changes the plan that you had initially. Same here. We have scenarios where this might work. 
for the more basic projects, but most of the, the things we have, the workflow we have is a bit more complex. So I would love to make a couple of additions and changes to you know, the steps that you see in the UI and what you can dynamically define when you create the work items. That said, the integration is super dumb or simple um, in, in a good way, that when you click create new work item, what it actually does, uh, it redirects you to dev.azure.com, to your repository or to GitHub. Uh, and then in the query string, it just appends all the data. So in the query string, it says, this is the person that you just assigned to. This is the name of the bug. This is the exception details. So it's just a really dumb redirect. Um, so, so the UI improvements can happen on the GitHub side. It can happen on the DevOps side. And it can happen in, in whatever goes into that connection string or the, the query string. So uh, it's a great integration. I really like it. But like I said, it, test it out uh, before you sell it to the rest of your team because it may or may not work with the specific workflow that you have with your company. This sort of uh, addition or enhancement is, is often announced at a large conference with a super flashy PowerPoint slide that it's finally available. And then you wait two weeks to actually get it. You go home, you start using it. Oh, it's actually a redirect. Well, thanks for this, but I was expecting a bit more. Even then, good to have this. Uh, next one is uh, an addition to the availability tests. So we spoke about the availability tests already back in episode 15. And now there's a new test. It's called the standard test. And this is in preview. And in essence, it allows you to ping an HTTPS endpoint. And optionally, you can validate the lifetime of the SSL certificate on that endpoint. And if the validity of the SSL certificate is within boundaries that you set, perhaps it expires in the next seven days or next 30 days or something else, then you can kick off an alert and execute a custom logic, perhaps run a logic app or execute an Azure function or use Azure automation to alert somebody that the SSL certificate really needs to be renewed. So it's quite simple. There's plenty of controls that you can do, like will it parse the additional redirects it's getting? But even then, I, I feel this is something that every company's IT manager sort of struggles with. And they, for now, I often see people using an Outlook calendar. So when they buy the SSL certificate, they put a note in the calendar one year from now remember to renew and if it hits on your summer holidays you're not going to renew it well i feel seen because you just <laughs> described what i do <laughs> so so the thing is it's super important to do this and i put a note into my calendar usually 60 days prior if it is a, a certificate that i buy that i need to renew because i may or may not use it in more than one place depending on if it's a dev or qa certificate and stuff like this but I, I mean, this is the reality of things. It's, there is never, when, like going back to what you said before, when you, when you read the marketing of something or, uh, you know, it, it's, it's probably going to say, use it like this, it's going to be great for one specific service or for one small thing. But, you know, the reality is for my certificates, I'm using them in more than one place, not for, for the production website certificate. 
spot for QA. Why would I have nine different certificates for different QA servers if I don't need that? Because I don't actually need to have the certificate there for those reasons uh, or for, for reasons internally. But yeah, again, coming back to the old Outlook, I, I use that for everything. I use that to remind <laughs> me of certificates and other things and whatever. But one thing that I found is, you know, some of our QA systems, some of our production systems even, they are for internal authenticated users only and protected by IP, by firewall, by role-based access control, and by AAD sign-in uh, with specific AAD apps that is denying all users to sign in except for two people in the organization, right? And and these are obviously not publicly accessible. They are running in the cloud, but they're not publicly facing, but they also will expire the SSL search. This is where my issues come in and why I use Outlook, not specifically for the public website, but for the non-public website where the availability monitor cannot reach it because the availability monitor is not authenticated and the IP address of the monitor is not allowed in. And it doesn't have a role-based access control granted and so on and so on and so on. So this is something I'm really hoping for because right now I build my custom KQL queries. I, I build custom PowerShell scripts and you know a bunch of custom things to find all web apps and all the certificates. And then for each certificate, check the validation, check the expiration. you know, And then if it is less than 90 days left, then send me an email telling me that, hey, heads up. There's something here. And while that is a solution that works, imagine if this capability you just described had a button saying authenticated request or you know something that, or maybe even on the Azure backend in Azure Monitor, which is not specifically for one app inside, but something that could monitor your entire subscription and say, we know that you have six resources that uses SSL certificates whether those are public or authenticated or behind firewalls doesn't matter. It just knows that there's a certificate and that will expire. Same thing goes with AAD apps, right? You create an AAD apps and you and you create a secret or you upload a certificate and it's going to have a valid validity or an expiration date. Who's going to remind you about that? My Outlook calendar. So how do you find a better solution to that? That's the main question. In, indeed, and it's it's a fairly fairly analog process in the sense and I, I feel this should be a built-in feature built-in functionality that should have existed 20 years ago but still happy to see this and i hope it evolves beyond just doing the fairly simple ping as it does now but at the same time if you want to automate something like this yourself you can do a one-liner in powershell or in curl and execute that every five minutes or once per day and, and have it trigger an alert. But then you need to sort of build that scheduling or rely on something, hope that the scheduler works, hope that everything else works in there. So that's sort of the reason why I like that if something becomes becomes part of the core services like in App Insights, then you know that it will always execute. You don't need to worry that, well, perhaps it hasn't been executing for the past six months and I'm missing out on those alerts. So I, I might still reside or, or rely on those Outlook alerts from time to time. But I did configure this for a couple of my websites just to see how it works. Uh, and this is in preview, so there's no pricing announced, which means 
as of today, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But once pricing is announced, then, then, you, then you have a grace period where you have to migrate to the GA and, and commit to the new pricing. Yeah, makes sense. All righty. The next one, uh, downtime SLA and outages workbook. And this is also a button in the App Insight uh, blade when you go to availability first. And this is exactly the same place where you configure the availability tests, like the standard test. But now there's a new button called SLA report, if I recall correctly. Have you been using this? I have. Pretty cool. So I also use things like and that I think a lot of people know about, like statuspage.io, Uptime Robot, all these you know, third-party uptime solutions that can kind of ping your website and monitor it and then provide you a status page for you and for your customers where you can see uh, insights and you can see that you're upholding your SLA and stuff like this. So it's a very transparent way to do that. So this is a super welcome change, and I, I took a look at that. And it already has all the data, so I, I don't need to start using it and then wait for 90 days for you know seeing that I have a great SLA because it all the data is already across all my app insights. And what I like about this is uh, I can use this for my SLAs, my service contracts with customers and, and lean on it because it has all the real data from all my locations, right? Whereas these third-party update um, services uh, that can ping your service they can ping each service individually possibly from multiple locations and then you have to kind of keep track of all of that what i can do with this downtime and outage or the the sla workbook here is you don't select a specific app insights you can do that but you can also say you know what i want to see all my app insight resources within this subscription or i want to see all uh, app insights in my in, in you know all of my subscriptions, or I want to see all my app insights from production, or whatever it is. Uh, for me, I have you know a different subscriptions for different things, and I will select all my subscriptions that are production workloads. Select all the app insights, and then I can see right now I have 100%, so I'm on target, and I will get this in the UI. And then it's gonna tell me like average duration, the max duration, and how many tests have been performed, and all these kind of things, and I really like this. So you get this one pane of glass to see the insights. Um, and then you can do some things like failure threshold. If you know when you create an uh, application insights uh, availability test, I think there's uh, something where you select the location, right? So you can see, say, I want to test from West Europe, North Europe, Central US, West US too, or you know whatever locations you you decide and then every five minutes or you know whatever cadence you define in your uh, availability test it will ping your website from all of those locations and make sure it comes back with a positive result the same thing goes here when you check the sla because an sla doesn't mean that the sla is broken just because a single location could not reach the web app that could just mean that there was a connection issue on the internet you know something with dns or whatever but if nine out of 10 locations work flawlessly, then the problem is not with your web app because your web app is in a single location, right? And if the entire world can call in except for a single location, 
then the problem is with that location or the connection to and from that location, not with your web app. So you don't break your SLA. So there's a really cool thing in the UI where you have this failure threshold and you can change it. So I'm changing that to number one instead of number three. Oh, now I'm at 99.8% instead of 100 because there was one location that had a failure or a couple of failures for a couple of minutes when there was some downtime or connectivity issues. So it's a really great way to drill into the data and, and you see all these things and you can define the outage windows and what type of tests to uh, to cover, if it's going to be all the web tests or only you know specific ones from multiple app insights and see the total downtime, total outages, time since the last outage. And you get the overview of all the tests that you have so you know what's kind of covered. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, it's still a work in progress as such. And um, the one thing that I'm missing here that I would really like to have is this like public status page. So status.mycompany.com. And they the customers can go there, full transparency. My system is up or my system is down. That's it. And they can see the history. Oh, yesterday there was a maintenance window. It's okay that it goes down. And they can also see that in two days, there's another maintenance window for two hours. I will expect the app to be down, things like that. That's the, the one thing I haven't seen yet. I don't know if it will come or if it exists. I think what I'm seeing here now, this is for a lot of internal monitoring, but because they named it SLA, I would expect some kind of status page or something that I can use with my customers, you know, so, so I can share it with them and they can monitor me, if you will. So I uphold my end of the bargain in the contract. I had a look at this with an App Insight instance that has plenty of data from the past couple of years. And I was surprised that that when I simply click the SLA workbook, that it can already use all of the data that I have in there. Because for mostly everything else in App Insight, when you start using something, you sort of now have to wait for 30 or 90 days to actually get the data to see some sort of results. And uh, now that you mentioned this this sort of uh, status page, when I look at my SLA report now, it has a lot of data and I don't really need all of that too often. But sometimes a customer might call me and say, hey, what's up with this? Then it would be nice to have something that I could share. And I feel perhaps that's the idea here that I take a slight screenshot of some of the the figures in there and said, well, this is what the system is telling me now. But if you would have this, perhaps an anonymous or even authenticated web page that you could quickly configure, a bit like what you have in API management, that you can have the developer portal that you can configure so that the devs can see the APIs that you publish. And this would be the same, the SLA portal for your App Insight instances. That would be nice. Yeah. So that, that's where I currently rely on these third parties to do status.mycompanyname.com because I, I don't want to send updates to customers when things happen. I want them to have the full transparency and trust us. I trust our systems and I need the trust of the customer so they can come there at any time and see, yep, the system is up because that will monitor our systems you know, independent of whatever I want to put on that page. That page will tell the customer if it's down. So hopefully that's a feature that will come. I will submit a ticket to the App Insights team or to the user voice, see if, if that's something that we can get someone to work on. But that'd be really cool to have. 
Indeed, indeed. And we still have one more, and this is a public preview as well. Uh, Alerts-based smart detection for app insights. It's a fancy name, but in essence, it gives you the capability to migrate your smart detections to alerts. So when App Insights gives you this machine learning-based detections that, oh, we're seeing an abnormal rise in exceptions on this and this service, you can have those become separate alerts instead of just becoming detections that give you an email. And when they are alerts, you're going to obviously configure a lot more for that. I haven't used this myself, and it's been in preview for quite some time because the article I found at Microsoft Docs was initially created in 2017 already, but it was updated last week, and this became a preview feature. But I think there was a legacy migration of the old smart detections, and this is something new. And there weren't too many use cases for this. I think it only supports five out of 10 or so smart detection rules that it can convert for now. But hopefully when it's eventually generally available, it will migrate everything you have in smart detections to alerts. I haven't used this in production yet because I don't like to use preview capabilities in, in production as such. Uh, in App Insights, it does say that migrate to alert-based smart detections in preview to get your detections as alerts and enjoy all the alert features. I really like this. Uh, so I, I am considering doing it. Worst case, I can recreate App Insights, you know, go back to uh, before migration state, if you will, in that in that way. I don't expect anything to break if I do it, but I obviously cannot recommend in the show that you, in your production environment, enable a preview feature. So do your research on that. But I would love to get alerts on that because if now I'm looking at some of the things that I have in one of my systems and... You know, the smart detections, It's if you haven't used it, it will give you things like abnormal rise in exception volume. Okay, so now you had 11 system argument exception, but the average is seven. Obviously, that's it should be zero, but when you have a distributed solution, you know, making hundreds of millions of requests every day, you will get exceptions in the code. Maybe because the code is faulty, maybe because a server was down, maybe because of transient faults. There's a million things that can happen. So you will expect or have to expect these things. And then it's very tricky to keep track of that in, in the logs. But when you take a look at smart detections, it, it can find these things and it can say degradation in server response time for this specific function. Now it took 10 minutes for the function to run, but the average is about one minute. Okay that means something's probably not very good or healthy. So I, I love that. Um, or another, an abnormal rise in failed request rate. Again, it's something very difficult for you to find out yourself if you look at 2 billion events in the last month. But with smart detection, it will take a look at that for you and just give you an alert. Well, if you migrate now to the new smart detection with alerts, it will give you an alert or an email, however you want your alert delivered, will tell you now you have 5% failure rate compared to 0.4% normal rate, right? So this is, uh, I agree, super cool feature. Uh, it might be a minor thing in, in you know, the feature delivery, but it's a huge impact in how I work because I am in charge of all these services that we operate for our customers. So I am, you know, I need to sleep well in order to do that. I need to be 
alerted when something is not working. So this smart detection, you know, based on alerts is super cool. It's going to be super helpful. So definitely looking forward to roll that out in production as well. Sounds good. Uh, so this was six new preview or generally available features for App, App Insights. And this was since early 2020 when we have last had a look at App Insights. And the last thing we have is the unexpected question. And Toby, I think it's your turn to ask me. Yeah. So you know how whenever something happens, you cannot sign into Azure, you know, your OneDrive is acting up or whatever, things that happen. Uh, we always come back and say the problem is DNS because usually it is. So if it's not DNS, what will finally break the internet? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think it's all quite, it, it's too often it's DNS. Uh, <laughs> it is DNS. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's the answer. Uh, initially, I would think that what would finally break the internet would be too many social media services. It, it seems that each week, if I talk with a friend, somebody will mention, hey, are you using this and that social media service, which I've never heard of. And I feel I don't need any more of those. Um, but perhaps it's not going to be that. So, so what I think what will finally break the internet is that, as you know, with DNS, you have the 13 root servers, the root DNS servers. And, and different organizations and people are running those. And what I think will happen is one or two of those are possibly today running on um, old legacy hardware, perhaps on a Pentium 2, because Linux runs so well on that. And they never need to upgrade the hardware or the software, really, because it just works. So sometime in the future, perhaps 20, 30 years from now, somebody who's operating those will retire and it breaks the hardware simply breaks and that will be the end of the internet nobody knows how dns works anymore because <laughs> everything is automated the hardware breaks and you cannot access your social media feeds and then people realize why do we actually need this thing can we actually go outside and play and do something else no someone will in invent a new internet like urpanet or arpanet or something like this <laughs> that could be. We start all over again. And perhaps we don't need DNS. We simply recite IP addresses and we memorize those. Uh, I, I think quantum computing and blockchain has a solution for all of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident it will help. I'm sure one of those buzzwords will fix it. Yes. All righty. Thank you again for joining us. This was episode 92, What's Up with Application Insights. And let's talk about something else next week. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.